Ladies, I'm not sure if you recognize how welcome a sight it is, but gentlemen, I know you know. When you go shopping with your wife and she heads into the dressing room to try on a bunch of things and they have a bench. Isn't that a glorious thing? Not just because it's nice to be able to sit down, but being able to sit down on the bench or couch or whatever they have, you're no longer having to stand there next to the dressing room like some creep. Because if you're having to stand there, you know, you're, you're just some dude who's you know, real close to a restraining order. If you sit down with the, holding the purse, you're a dutiful husband who's uh, waiting to give his thoughts to the wife when she comes out and says, hey, how does this look? Which is a whole other minefield, isn't it, guys? <laughs> it's not that we don't like going shopping with our wives. It's not that we're not happy to wait for them and do that type of thing. It's just the type of waiting is a difference. And we humans, none of us really like to wait, do we? I mean, now it's not, you know, if you see something that says four to six weeks for delivery, you're just, ha <laughs> ha. Uh, we want four to six hours. And it needs to be closer to the four, doesn't it? Uh, we, we want it, we want it now. Kids right now, they're trying to figure out what they're getting for Christmas. We actually used to have a church member here. She had to hide the Christmas presents for the kids here at the church building. Her kids were that determined to find out what it was. You know, the suspense is, almost, suspense is just too much for them. They want to know, am I getting that Red Ryder BB gun or not? We wait, but we're not really happy about it. The Jewish people had been waiting. God had promised time and again the Messiah is coming. Over the generations, the promises came. Each time, a little more information. Couple extra specifics. And finally, they felt like something was about to happen. There had been a fair amount of comparative silence. You know, God had he'd still been working with his people, but not quite the breadth of prophecy that they had had in the past. But they felt like something was going to happen. Even later, in the, even in the Gospels, we see that when Jesus is born, there are people who've been waiting for the redemption of Israel. There was that anticipation. They knew something was going to occur. If you'd have asked them, they might have had a hard time putting their finger on why. They just felt like it was time. And they weren't wrong. God does act, and this part of the Christmas story opens with God sending a messenger. To an out-of-the-way place, to a young woman, there's an angelic visitor. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This scene shows us the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. But the focus here is not that the angel came to Mary. The focus is on the coming Messiah. We learn about the king whom Mary is to bear. Sometimes when we're looking at the Christmas story, we get caught up in the setting. You know, the shepherds were in their fields by night, and we think, oh, this little pristine place, this nice little hill with the cute little sheep who are somehow all clean and groomed. I've never seen a sheep that looked as pretty as the ones in a nativity. I think a little bit of realism has been sacrificed there to protect sensibilities. But you know, we look at that sort of thing and we just think how beautiful and peaceful it is, but we forget to focus on the substance of the messages. And that's really where we're going to look here today, because look at who, this, who Gabriel says this child is to be. This is no ordinary child. Now, when it comes to birth announcements, people do all sorts of weird stuff with that nowadays. I mean, it's bizarre stuff. You get gender announcements, and you know, there was one not that long ago where like, this couple said, tell you what, let's take some dye, and there's this waterfall, and we'll just pour it into the waterfall. People see blue or pink, and, you know, we're, we're, well, they do it, and, you know, blue dye, oh, you're having a boy, and they just contaminated the town's water supply. Like, folks, you know, dial it back a bit. Because your baby's special, but this baby's really special. You never have parents say, oh, you know, this is your child? How wonderful. Parent never says, eh, it's just a kid. You know, baby's a baby. Seen one, seen all, they look like shaved pugs. They don't say that, but this is no ordinary child. The announcement, it's going to be a virgin birth, that's unique, but the importance here is on who this is. It says he's going to be great. And these new parents, you know, they never, you say, oh, this child is great. They're like, eh. I mean, the firstborn child is always just a wonder, it's always wonderful. Every firstborn child is great. It's the second kid that's, eh. Hey, any of you the second kid out there? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the incomplete baby book. Yeah, mom got bored after three months. Didn't happen with number one. But this child, you know, there's been a lot of great people throughout history. History book's full of them. So we just start off, he'll be great. Oh, great. I mean, foster, frosted flakes are great. I mean, it get, that gets three R's. 
But the angel continues on, says, he will be called the son of God. Now we're getting somewhere. Not everybody's called the son of God. And Mary doesn't even fully grasp this. You know, that song, Mary, did you know? And I saw some people like, well, yes, yes, no, no, no. You know, they put up things like that. But she doesn't fully understand that Gabriel's not talking here about what people call Jesus. People will say he's the son of God, but he actually is the son of God. And later events will show she doesn't really understand 100% what she's being told here. She'll figure it out. But later on when Jesus begins his ministry, she kind of thinks he's gone off his rocker a little bit. She knew he was special. She just didn't realize how special. It just hadn't clicked in her head yet. And even in verse 35, the angel says he will be called holy, the son of God. This goes even further. He's not just special, he's actually holy. And friends, that is a description that does not fit any human. None other than Jesus. We're not that holy. See, a lot of times when we talk about sin, we talk about here's what God says not to do, you know, we start blowing it off like, ah, is it really that big a deal? Here's the thing. We're not holy. We're tainted by sin. Every last one of us, and I know we've had the debates in Christendom, you know, is it original sin that's passed down hereditarily? Are we just quick studies? I tend to go more in the second camp, but I can see how you come to the conclusion out of the first. When you're covered in mud... Does it really matter if you spill a glass of milk on yourself? So we don't really think, oh, one more sin's a big deal. And we look at what the Bible teaches about sin, and sometimes we'll even say, ah, that doesn't really matter. It's because we don't understand, because we aren't holy. We have never seen holy. We have never experienced holy. Isaiah did. When he's commissioned and the Lord treats him to a vision of the throne room of God. As my uncle says, Isaiah was set up. So I don't know how you see that kind of uh, vision and not respond. But he sees God in all his glory and his immediate response is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, I am from a people of unclean lips, and I have seen a holy God. He knows he's a dead man. One of the first humans to really understand what holiness is because he sees it. Yeah, we don't really get holy. I think that's why we don't really understand the trouble of sin. That's why we make excuses for it. But this one, this person, this baby Jesus, he won't be sinful. He is going to be holy in a way no human ever has been, ever since the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had to be tempted. They didn't withstand it. Jesus was tempted. He didn't fall. He didn't give in. He didn't believe Satan's lies. No, Jesus is holy. 
the same way that God is holy. Oh, he's special. And it says, he'll receive the throne of David. Now, the Jews would see these promises about the Messiah being heir to the throne of David. And what they thought is, well, David was king over Israel. Our Messiah will be king over Israel. So when the Messiah comes, it's revolution time. That's not how it's going to work. Jesus was not a revolutionary in a political sense. At no time did Jesus ever say, yeah, you need to overthrow Caesar. They even put the question to him. He didn't play ball. Because Jesus understood we can follow God whatever political system we're under. We may have preferences. It's okay to have a preference. But we can follow Jesus even if it's not what we'd like. No, Jesus' throne is not something bestowed by man. It is something that God is giving him. He is heir to the promises to David, both because he is from David's lineage and also because God will give him the throne. He is king in a very real sense, not in an earthly sense. You know, our earthly kings, well, they're a little different. An earthly king, they've got limits to their power. You can go places where a king does not rule. Sometimes even within their own kingdom. You go to another country, doesn't matter, they don't rule here. Laws change. And if a king is too harsh with his subjects, they may exercise the people's veto. When the king finds out they've done that, man, he loses his head. Think on that one for a bit. You'll get it. Kings are fickle things. But Jesus, he's not a ruler like we're used to. He carries tremendous authority, but it's not the same authority as an earthly king would wield. It's not authority enforced by armies and taxing. It is the authority of God himself that he carries. And on top of that, he will have an eternal throne. Kings have expiration dates. One way or the other. And the Jews would often interpret this as a political dynasty. But Jesus would not pass his power to another. And even political dynasties come to an end. But Gabriel is saying that he personally will rule forever. Friends, this is no human throne. This is a heavenly throne. This description builds and builds and builds. It keeps getting more and more glorious. He's not just a special person. He is someone unlike the world has ever seen. Above and beyond any normal human. Not some hometown boy who made good but the very Son of God come to earth. And friends, he will be king. One thing about kings, though, they expect you to do what they say. That's why it's good to be the king. If you don't do what a king says, they tend to get pretty testy. They like to do things like lock you in a dungeon. 
what we see is that the king is going to be obeyed. This brings us back to the announcement. Here we have Mary. She's a young woman who's never known a man in that way, and she's told she's going to bear a child without male involvement. And this is what we would call odd. Because humans don't usually get angelic visitors, and we're not usually told, ladies, that, oh, you're going to have a baby and no dude's going to be involved. Now, they didn't know how many chromosomes humans had. They didn't know exactly how all things went together to create life. They didn't have microscopes. They didn't understand genetics. But they still knew how you made a baby. These were not stupid people. They just didn't have the science and technology that we have. But Mary knew, wait a minute, there's not going to be a guy. But note what isn't happening here. Sometimes in some Bible stories, what doesn't happen is just as loud as what does. God isn't bouncing this idea off of Mary. The angel does not say, now Mary, here's God's plan. He wants you to bear his son. What do you think of that? There's no advice requested. Mary does not say, okay, I have some suggestions that we can modify this plan. They are not sending this to a committee for further study. Now, there's a scary thought, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he sent a committee. Sounds more like something done by Lucifer, doesn't it? For Satan so hated the world, he gave his committees and Robert's rules of order. There's not even a place for her to opt out. I mean, you know, Mary can't look in this and be like, oh, God wants me to do this, you know, unsubscribe. Click. Text stop to 777. No, none of that. This is what's going to happen, Mary. This is an announcement, not a request for information. Now, we don't know much about Mary. We think some things about Mary. We assume she's a righteous young woman. After all, she did find God's favor. I mean, the angel comes into her and says, Hey, Mary, God has heard about you. He likes you. Of course, Mary's unsettled with this. Wouldn't you be if the CEO of your company shows up in your cubicle or whatever? Hey, I've heard a lot about you. Wow, look at the time I got to go. You know, attention from that far on high is going to be disconcerting. But we have to figure, okay, God wants to find a woman to raise his son. He's not pulling names out of a yarmulke. (laughs) He's going to be selecting someone of quality. But again, that's something we think. I think it's a solid assumption, personally. But the Bible doesn't talk about what Mary was like. And God's going to rely on her to raise his son. So, I mean, we have to presume she's a particularly wonderful, wise young woman. But that's really all we know. We don't know what her family was like. 
We don't know what the reaction of her parents was. We don't know if she had siblings. We don't know how they reacted. I mean, we know very, very, very little about Mary. And a lot of what we think we know is really, if we're honest, just speculation. Because all we see here is her response. She has a response to the angel. She is curious, but not incredulous. She's not wondering if God can do it. She just doesn't know how it might occur. Her response is not, you got to be kidding me. She doesn't say, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. No, she's just saying, well, you know, angel, I'm, I, I know how the male-female thing works, and uh, I'm a female, I've never been with a male, so uh, there's certain prerequisites for having a child, shall we say? Gabriel's response is simply, God will make it happen. As the architect of the human body, this is certainly not a difficult thing for the Lord. She doesn't laugh about it, which is something that had happened earlier to another unlikely announcement of a birth. She doesn't say, I can't really happen, which again is something else that happened. No. And the angel Gabriel even provides proof. Proof Mary didn't ask for. He doesn't say, how can this happen? Or she doesn't say, you know, I don't believe it. She says, you know, okay, how's God going to do it? And angel Gabriel says, tell you what, here, let me give you another data point. Your elderly relative Elizabeth is waiting on her own child. Then he makes a statement, and we talked about this statement a couple weeks ago. Nothing is impossible with God. That comes up a few times in the book of Luke. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. There's things that are impossible for humanity. There's things that are downright difficult for us. But nothing is impossible with God. And that's something we really have to get into our own minds and really impress upon that gray matter inside our skulls that nothing is impossible with God. Why don't you say that with me? Nothing is impossible with God. Not bringing children to the barren, not causing the virgin to be with child, not saving humanity. Nothing is impossible with God. Sometimes we will object to God and say, that can't happen. And God says, hey, what made you think I can't do the impossible? You think you're too sinful for me? Nothing's too impossible for God. You think you're too far for me? You think you can't be redeemed? Nothing is impossible for God. Because really, that's where that statement goes. Years later, when Jesus is talking with people, and they're talking about, man, how can rich people be saved? And he starts talking about the eye of a needle. People come up with all kinds of excuses for what that eye of a needle meant. Like, oh, it was this little gate in the back of the city, and you'd have to stick a camel through it on its knees. No, it wasn't. He's literally talking about shoving a camel through an eye of a needle. Anybody like camel spaghetti? But we can't do it, can we? Friends, we can't be saved by our own work. Fortunately, what have we just said? 
nothing is impossible with God. Got to keep that in mind. And you know what? Mary believes this. She accepts it. Okay, guess that's what's going to happen. Her life's going to be turned upside down. And that's just over the coming months. To say nothing of what's going to unfold from there. Mary's response to the coming of the king is obedience. She has been selected for a difficult and a serious task. She doesn't argue about it like Moses. Moses, set my people free. God, send somebody else. I know speak good. Brother Aaron, talk better. He argues with God. She doesn't suggest other, other possibilities like Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have a son with Sarah. Why don't you pick Ishmael? You guys stupid, you're going to have a son with Sarah. Why not a handmaiden? Knock it off, idiot. You're going to have a son with Sarah. No, she doesn't argue, doesn't come up with other plans. She just accepts it. These, we're talking, you know, the, Moses and Abraham are like the most faithful people in the Jewish book of history. And Mary beats them both. Okay, I think we know why she got picked. But one thing about a king, a king has authority over his subjects. Those who rebel show that they reject his authority, and Mary is the first to submit to the coming king. She is going to bear the king, but in doing that, she serves the king. And that raises the question of our own response to this king. We know he's special. We grasp that he has authority, so what are we going to do about it? Okay, if Jesus really is special, now what? If he really is king, what's that mean for us? If Jesus is king, what you gonna do? Are you gonna be a rebel? Are you gonna fight it out? How you plan to do that? And even hope to win? No. If we know who Jesus is, then what remains for us is to serve Jesus the king. There's no other answer. How do you fight God? Satan's been trying ever since creation. And friends, he will lose. And he's more powerful than I am. More powerful than all of us put together. And it's not even a fight. As that hymn from Martin Luther says, One little word shall fell him. It's not going to be a battle, folks. Armageddon's a beatdown. No, the king is in charge. The king will rule now and forevermore. And if we truly believe that he is the king, we're going to obey. We're going to turn to him. We're going to do as he commands. Because it's not enough to just mouth a few words. It needs to show in our lives, folks, our king wants true obedience. Not lip service. Life service. And it's not enough to just reflect fondly on him this time of year. He demands our allegiance every day, every minute. Not just when the tree is up and the lights are hung. He is king. He has been king. He remains king. And we ought to obey. 
What are you going to do about it? He's in charge. He sits on the throne. Even today. They tried to kill him. He came back. He sits at the right hand of God Almighty in heaven. And one day he's coming back. And when you see him, is he your king? It's time to make your decision. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your son Jesus. Because, Father, we know that he is king. We praise you. For you have given him to be our sacrifice for sins, that through him we are forgiven and we can look forward to life everlasting with you. Lord, bend our hearts. Help us to follow your son, to accept him, to change the tone of our lives, to become like him, so that on that day when he comes back, we can rejoice. Hosanna! Hallelujah! for our King will have returned. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.